Hello, and welcome to episode 97 of the Casual Tryhard Podcast. I'm Brian. And I'm James. And today we're going to get to that, how we kind of keep our collections and what we kind of choose to collect. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we've got um, a little bit of finance stuff and maybe touch on some arena stuff that we've been thinking about. Yep. Uh, so if you want to get at us on Twitter... You can tweet at us at Casual Tripod. If you want to see how to be successful in Kalidus Draft, I keep putting my seven win decks up there. Mm-hmm. I think I'm at seven, seven yeah. win decks up there. It's pretty so, impressive. And I put a bunch of them in the Discord as well. But yeah. I have a bunch of them up there for you. Uh, maybe like closer to nine or ten. But yeah. So if you want to see how to put together a draft deck for Kaladesh Remastered, a set that a few podcasts ago I went like, I don't know how much I'm going to draft this. Uh, <laughs> you should be on. You should be on Twitter. Yeah. Um, also, like it's important to see what kind of like we're talking about these Kaladesh decks. It's important to see like what kind of decks are doing well. Not that you have to you know completely copy that deck list but like the kinds of archetypes that are seem to be winning a lot you should kind of gravitate towards if you can yeah um that's why it's important to see that kind of stuff you can also find us on facebook at casual tryhard mtg you can drop us an email show at casual tryhard mtg.com uh don't forget if you guys are looking to pick up any single cards um especially some of this finance stuff we're going to talk about use our tcg player affiliate link tcg.casualtryhardmtg.com anything you purchase after following that link will get a small sliver of to help keep the show rolling if you want to support us a little bit more directly you can do so at patreon.com slash casualtryhardmtg our patrons get early access to show notes i usually post them the wednesday before the show goes live on friday and you also get access to our pre-show which is kind of us just talking about anything and everything while we're setting up mics and audio and that kind of stuff uh, that usually goes live Tuesdays. Um, we also have a YouTube channel that I think we're going to post a little companion video to this episode on. So check out our YouTube channel, uh, Casual Tryhard MTG. And we have a Discord channel. There should be a link in the description. There's a link on Twitter. There's a link on Facebook. If you can't find your link anywhere, let us know and we'll send you one. And when you're on Discord, I'm Dr. Gamer PhD up there. And oh, yeah. James is the greasy jockey greasiest of jockeys this week we were going to talk about like we said how we keep our personal collections and like what we decide to collect Mm -hmm. and so the first thing is something you have way more experience in than i do which is collecting or holding on to sealed product yeah i've become kind of good at just forgetting about it even though i look at it every day i don't collect all sealed product there's not too many like normal release products that i hang on to sealed product for um like normal standard sets i really don't collect sealed product for i do have a handful of fat packs that i like bought on sale at barnes and nobles or whatever for like 20 bucks but the only fat packs that i'm currently sitting on are ones that either have masterpieces in them or have really desirable lands in them. Like I have BFZ, Oath of Gatewatch, Kaladesh, Aether Revolt, Amonkhet, Hour of Devastation, because they all have masterpieces in them. And then I also have some of the Ravnica stuff because they're shock lands in them. Yeah, um, I have a bunch of uh, Kaladesh and Fate Reforged because my wife found them 
for again like twenty dollars and bought like a stack of them. Yeah, but normal, like normal release stuff, I really don't sit on too much of, um, just because, like, I really don't know how that stuff ages. I know really old boxes of that stuff age pretty well, but like, how long does it take for you to, you know, see a return? You know what I mean? Like, if you're gonna sit on a box for five years or whatever, you could end up with gate crash that's still worth ninety dollars. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you are a lot lower on and then you know the stuff that's really valuable this older is you're looking at you know 15 to 20 years old yeah for those boxes yeah and because i mean like gate crash is seven years old Mm -hmm. and yeah no one cares and it's also hard too because you don't know if it's a set like especially when you're buying boxes like at the beginning if it's a set that people are going to look back on longingly. Right. Or if they're going to just be like, uh, you don't know if you're getting Innistrad or Avacyn restored. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I mean, there, there was a big difference between, like, Ixalan and Dominaria. Like, yeah. people love Dominaria. Ixalan's just kind of whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it is hard to kind of, like, know going in. But the most of the limited edition sets like master sets and Mm -hmm. you know commander legends kind of things mystery boosters Mm -hmm. they usually do a really good job on those and so people enjoy playing the limited environment they usually have high value cards by design right like yes hey modern masters we're putting high value modern cards in this set Mm -hmm. and there's usually not enough of it to let people get sick of playing that limited environment or Mm -hmm. they've opened enough packs. Yeah, like... Like, I mean, there's only so many uh, Masters 25 drafts you can do. Yeah, at like whatever, $50 a pop or $40 a pop or whatever they were running. Yeah. So yeah, like those are really good reasons to sit on some of that kind of sealed product. It's limited release. Like they really only do one, maybe one and a half print runs of it. So it's not like they're churning the product out for a year and there's tons of it sitting in a warehouse somewhere. So that's helpful for long-term value. Like you said, the EV is typically higher because there's some high dollar chase cards in those sets. You're 100% correct about the limited environments Environments um, generally being really good. I loved drafting Modern Horizons. That was like one of my favorite sets in recent memory to draft. I think probably only behind mystery boosters, which like also falls into the same category. It's limited release, especially mystery boosters kind of got the short end of the stick because it came out right when COVID started. So not a whole lot of people got to, you know, experience that. And I think those products are going to age pretty well. So I sit on a bunch of that stuff. Like holding on to to product that has high value cards. Mm -hmm. I feel like, people are really bad at doing the EV calculation mm-hmm. of like, Oh, Hey, I want fill in the blank card. Right. So I want the thrill of trying to open packs to get it. Whew. As opposed to just being like, I'll just buy the card. The card. Yeah. Right. So that's why I like having like, you know, like, Oh, there's Tarmogoyf back when Tarmogoyf was a hundred dollar card mm-hmm. in modern masters. Right, opening a Tamagoyf feels way better 
right. than just plonking down your credit card and buying said Tarmogoyf. Yep, it's showing up on your doorstep three to five days later. Yeah, even though like you might be down on the overall transaction, mm-hmm. people are just trying to get their fix. Yep. So they're willing to spend for the box. Yeah, and like that's a whole nother part of it is you can crack a box whenever you want to. If you have the money, you can open a box of whatever set you want to. You can never uncrack a box. You can't ever take those cards, put them back back in a booster pack, put them back in the box, and then sell that box as you know, unsealed product. You know what I mean? So there's only ever going to be less of these as time goes on. It doesn't matter how big the print run is. There's only ever going to be less. There's never going to be more. And then especially for sets that have a desirable limited environment, people are going to run out of sealed product at some point. Like I said, I really enjoyed the mystery booster draft. I Over that weekend before COVID hit, I must have done probably 10 or 11 mystery booster drafts, even if all I did was fire a draft, play a game or two, and then drop and draft it again. I did a ton of paper drafts that weekend. And that's really never going to happen again. So it's a good thing I'm sitting on some boxes I can crack with, you know, a couple of buddies and draft mystery boosters. Yeah. So, uh, and then also like I have, uh, I only have one right now. I have one or well, two sealed Thalia secret layers. Yeah. Where I was like, well, like Thalia is a playable card. Mm-hmm. This is like unique artwork. Mm-hmm. And maybe at some point these will be of greater value. And I think like it was only twenty five or thirty dollars, so like yeah. it didn't feel like it hurt so much as like the ones that are you know fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. Where it's like I don't really want to spend fifty dollars on this. Yeah. So the uh, the secret layers, I have a little bit different perspective about. I'm all about them. Like I like I like the secret layers. As a product, I think they're fine. I really didn't have as much of a problem, even with like the Walking Dead one, as a lot of people did. Um, I've bought a bunch of them. I'll probably buy a bunch more of them, but I don't keep those sealed. Like I've, I think every one that I've gotten, and I've gotten a bunch of them, I've cracked and you know put in binders so I can look at them. And I don't necessarily think that they're going to be worth more sealed than they are just for the cardboard inside because there's no. There's no like experience with opening one, you know what I mean? Like you get with cracking a booster box and pulling a Liliana of the Veil or whatever. You already know what's inside of it. You can look it up on the internet. You can see the artwork on the cards. The only kind of caveat there is the, like whatever the bonus card is underneath. But a lot of the recent ones, that's not even randomized. So you know like what you're getting. The uh, the one with like Arcbound Revenger, Walking Ballista that they all had a stained glass card. So oh. it's not like if you go on eBay and order, can you feel with a heart of steel, you're going to get anything besides a stained glass card. Hmm. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, like the early ones were semi-randomized where you could get one of like three or four different planeswalkers in them, but all of the recent ones have only had, I think have only had one planeswalker in them. You could only get the one. Gotcha. But it's something that um, like I just held on to because I'm like, I yeah. already have Thalia's. I'm not going to like foil out death and taxes. Right. But if these become harder to find, mm-hmm. right, even if like the, the singles 
go up. I have them, and they're mm-hmm. in hopefully good condition because I haven't opened them. Yeah. So based on some of the print quality, Lord only knows. <laughs> so like I in my head, I'm kind of comparing the secret layers to the From the Vaults, where it's a set number of cards. It's not randomized. You know what's in there. And if you go back and look at prices for um, From the Vaults, a lot of times the sealed ones are slightly less than what the value of the cards is. Yeah, like uh, those. I think I have like five or six of those. Yeah, but I've, I've got a couple of them. I, but I, I have a couple from uh, I went through a phase of uh, winning them. Yeah. So uh, that's why I have a bunch of those. Yeah. But, but, like, I mean, even look at, like, some of the expensive ones. Like, um, is it Relics is the one with Mox Diamond in it? Yeah. You can you can buy the whole box for the price of a From the Vault Mox Diamond. Hmm. It's basically, like, this box is a Mox Diamond and, like, seven friends. Yeah. And, I mean, yep. those cards aren't even bad right. with it. But, yeah. No, I mean, but if it came to the point of, like, I was going to sell my From the Vault Relics or whatever... Mm-hmm. I'd open it up and sell my Mox Diamond and then the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But yeah. So um, those might so, not be the best investment. Well, I, no, I'm not saying that they're not a good investment. Actually, I was just going to say exactly the opposite. I think every single secret layer has been worth more almost immediately afterwards than the sale price. There, yes. there is not one that has flopped. Even like the basic lands is worth more now than it was for sale. Yeah, that is true. So I don't, I don't think you can go wrong with them. I just don't see like we were talking about specifically sealed product, and I don't, I don't think there's really a benefit for like keeping them sealed. I gotcha. mean, obviously, if you got no, no reason to crack them, like you might as well not crack them. But I, I really don't think there's a reason to keep them sealed up. And then next uh, is singles. Yeah. So what kind of singles do you collect? Is there anything in particular, or just stuff to play, or? So for a while, uh, when I first started, there were a bunch of cards that were five dollars that were played modern, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Eh, I'm not playing that deck right now. I'll get it when I want to play that deck." Right. And all those five dollar cards became like fifty dollar cards, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Uh, now I can't really play this deck because this five dollar card is fifty dollar card now." Yeah, so I went through a. F- so yeah, so I went through a phase where if it was a $5 card like played in like modern decks, I just picked them up. Mm-hmm. So that's why now I have a bunch of like modern decks because right. I bought all the $5 cards uh, for them over the years. That's a little harder to do now because like I feel like the modern, like I feel like with them as aggressively reprinting stuff as they have been, yeah, like there's more inherent risk in those $5 cards. Now, your downside is $5. Right. Right. It's not $55 or something. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and you know, I got burned by the Mox Opal ban because I got yes. my Mox Opal finally. And then they banned them. But for the most part, now I try to gravitate towards um, cards to play, foils. And it's harder now because we're in the midst of insanity. Uh, right. Reserveless cards. Yeah. The number of just random cards I have filled out orders with because mm-hmm. they're on the reserve list or been at like another store and like one store credit at an event and just like bought null rods. Yep. 
Like, I think I went from no rod, null rods to like four mm-hmm. when they were $20 from just basically winning events at this one store by where my wife lived. Yep. And now null rods are 70 or $80. Mm-hmm. But the reserve list thing is hard now because all the playable reserve list cards have and a lot spiked. of. Yeah, and a lot of the not very playable ones yeah. have all gone through the roof. Yep. And now is not the time to buy. Yeah, not really. So, like, now I look at things like I keep seeing... When I bought all my Zendikar Rising stuff, I didn't buy Sky uh, Skyclave Apparition. Yeah, because they were, like, $8. Yeah, I don't know what they are now, but they're, like, in every deck. Right. And it's like, I should probably have some Skyclave apparitions because they're played in, like, every deck now. Like, any deck that plays white plays three to four Skyclave apparitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do try to identify cards that are going to be, like, playable long-term. Yep. And that's really my big thing is I don't want to get priced out of a deck. So even if I only get four of a card, mm-hmm. I'm, like, locking in that card for hey, I think this will be modern playable or can be modern playable. So I want to have it so it's not in like five years. Now it's it's the new modern hotness and it's $70. Yeah, I I, kind of do the same thing. Um, There's not really anything in particular that I, you know, try and collect. Like I don't go out and try and get all the planeswalkers or whatever. Um I do like getting fancy versions of cards that I know I'll play. Um, I like promos. I like, you know, foils or alternate arts or whatever. I think that stuff's super nice. I like the shiny stuff. So, you know, if I see something somewhere that's a, a James card that's, you know, alter, art, bleh, an alternate art version or whatever, I'll, I'll stop and pick it up. I do also grab reserve list stuff when I can, um, especially if I don't have to pay money for it. Like if it's trading or store credit or whatever, I've got a lot of stuff that's just random reserve list cards I will never play because, like you said, you win credit in an event. And there's nothing really in the case you need, but there's, you know, Academy Rectors. Yeah, so or Academy Rectors. Yeah, you're like, oh, hey, there's, what is it, Meditate. Yeah. And it's like, this is a reserve list. It says draw a bunch of cards on it. Maybe mm-hmm. someone will break it one day. Yep. I'll at least have it when that happens. Yep. Another um, thing that I did recently that you also maybe kind of did a little bit after our podcast was mm-hmm. um, I bought like a stack of selective memories. <laughs> yeah, I haven't bought any yet. I need right. to. Uh, I mean, I've still got four for you if you, uh, okay. if you need the hookup. <laughs> but, right, so let's say you're reading magic articles or you're like watching videos mm-hmm. and someone does a video about some like wild modern deck that you haven't seen before that's playing some crazy card you didn't even know about, like Selective Memory or... Is it- Semblance Anvil. I was going to say Kraken- Krakenwick uh, Cremator. Yep, that one too. Right, where if you can... These are usually shorter-term things, yeah. right, where the card goes from zero to, like, ten dollars and then goes back to three or four dollars later yep right you know if you can like move them in that like ten dollar window 
mm-hmm. where you like you saw it and you got on them early. You know, I'm talking about cards that are like a quarter, right, or something, so that you can be like, I'm out ten dollars or I'm out five dollars, but my upside here is two hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And right, if you can make that kind of flip, great. But I think those are harder. You have to like be really kind of paying attention. Yeah, you've really got to be tuned into the market. And again, that's not really like that's stuff that I do specking, but it's not really like part of my I don't consider it part of my collection, you know what I mean? Fair. I've got like forty Deathmiss Raptors that are all, you know, in the same little container, but that's I don't really consider that part of my, my collection. I, I, I do have uh Oh, what is that stupid chamber century? Yeah. <laughs> got like 50 of those. And yeah. same with like scrap heap scroungers. Got a stack of those guys. I love me some scrap heap scrounger. Got some foils. I think the thing that made you and I probably the most easy money mm-hmm. was buying cards that were on the modern ban list. Yeah. That were possible unbans. Mm-hmm. Now, that list of possible unbans is a lot smaller. Yeah, and I think we hit the easiest ones. We hit the easiest ones, right? Yep. We hit... Bloodbraid. Bloodbraid, and I hit uh, Sword of the Meek. Yep. Thopter Foundry. But there is now a whole new format that has a giant ban list. That's true. Which is Pioneer. And there might be some cards because we already had Oath of Nyssa on and then come back off. Right. Right. So there could be cards in the future that like look laughably bad and come Mm -hmm. off of the ban list. Yep. So those could be cards that like you spec on now, like, you know, in three years, they might be like, oh, Kethis is kind of a joke. Like, this won't be playable. But if it gets unbanned, a lot of times there's just, like, this frenzy of, oh, my gosh, this must be busted. Yeah. Uh, Think of how much... banned, it must be good. Yeah, think of how much money people made on just the threat of Stoneforge getting unbanned before it got unbanned. Oh, yeah. Like, Like every cycle. Stoneforge, at one point, went from, like, $10 to $100. Yep. And it didn't get unbanned. But then the the price went back down to 20. So Mm -hmm. you like were double your money. Yep. So there could be cards in the future that do the same thing. So like if it's cheap and you can like call a shot, you might as well. Mm -hmm. And you know, I agree. So, but I think the best place is reserve list stuff. And it's finding those things that, aren't like so god awful old magic Mm -hmm. that you can maybe realistically like see someone like playing one day Mm -hmm. but like in terms of just like playable stuff i have a lot of foils and like i will see a deck and i will just start kind of getting the pieces that i'm missing even if i don't end up putting that deck together right away yeah that's kind of how i approached modern um i built elves to kind of teach me the format and then after i kind of saw what was out there i picked a deck which happened to be jund and it was really expensive but i put jund together 
and had a lot of fun playing Jund. And then once I had that together, I just started buying like pieces of other decks as I saw the prices fluctuate and as I had access to the cards. And right now I could probably put together most of modern. I, I really don't think there's too much in modern I couldn't put together right now. And it's not because I, you know, actively said, oh, I want to build blue white control one day, or I want to build lantern control one day, or I want to build Tron one day, or, you know, I, I just kind of accumulated pieces over the years. You know, like I said, once I saw prices fluctuate, I'd buy them when, like, when a reprint hit, I'd buy them up. Or if the meta changed and a deck wasn't good anymore, I'd buy pieces for it. And yeah, you know, I've got I mean, a whole box of modern staples at this point. Yeah, the the price thing, like the reprint thing, like uh, Karn went from like fifty dollars to twenty five dollars or twenty. I bought four. Yeah. I've yep. never put con- I never put Tron together, but like if there comes a point where I want to Tron people, mm-hmm. I have the cards to Tron people. Yep, same thing with uh, Aether Vials. I bought Aether Vials for like ten dollars a piece when they were reprinted. Now, I'm probably never gonna play Fish. I might play Humans, but I have Aether Vials now. Yeah, so finding your spots where you can say like I might play this card, or this is a card that's going to be kind of perpetually playable. And I want it for when the deck comes around that I want that this card goes in that I also want to play. Yeah. Right. So we have a friend who's selling his collection, like just buy listing it. And so he was nice enough to give us like first crack at the stuff he was going yep. to buy list. Yeah. And so like, you know, this was a, an opportunity to get cards at around buy list price. Mm hmm. And so, like, I bought three cryptics. Yeah. I don't know if I'm ever going to have enough blue in my deck to cast blue, blue, blue. <laughs> I but definitely I, won't. But I bought three cryptics, and I bought a few other things uh, from yeah. them as well. So, like, if there's an opportunity that, you know, cards end up uh, cheaper than they should be for you normally. Mm-hmm. Or I know that you and I both benefited from, like, if your local store, like, buys a big collection... Yeah, and I then they say that. Then they need to kind of like flip out of that. They're like, "Oh, I spent three hundred dollars on this collection, but I also need to buy like drinks for the store." Yeah, I need to get four hundred dollars out of what I just spent. Mm-hmm. You can sometimes get cards cheaper than you should get them, and if those are staples, like yeah. that's a perfect time to grab them. Yeah. Yeah, there's been times where I'll get, you know, a random phone call on like a Sunday afternoon. Hey, a collection just walked in the door. I've got to get 500 of my $700 out of this by Monday. Come on down here and see what you want. And I think I I forwarded the messages to you a couple times and yeah. you know, I I picked up chalices for almost nothing. I think I paid $10 a piece for the chalices and you know, they're currently worth more than that but we're worth way more than that yeah and so like just being open to those kind of opportunities is important to build your collection like i'm not saying like buy all kinds of random trash but if you're like oh this is a staple card that gets played in multiple formats Mm -hmm. and another thing that's kind of spec kind of collection is i like to buy cards that have unique effects that are yeah, difficult to reprint. Before, so. Yeah. So just like identify those cards that you're like, huh, this seems hard to reprint. Mm-hmm. 
or it's something that they haven't done on a card before. Yeah. Um, it's important to remember this like right around rotation also, if it's a standard legal set, that a lot of times those cards aren't like singularly powerful to get ported into a different format, but might only be a piece or two away from being like a format defining deck. So sometimes picking those cards up on the cheap at rotation when all the standard players are trying to get out of them is an avenue to make some money also. Yeah. So we have all these cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we keep them? Do you just have them rattling around in a shoebox um, with a rubber band around them maybe? Scrooge McDuck swimming pool. Just, just <laughs> your, your guest bedroom, you open the door and just cards pile out and you like swim through them? That is correct. It makes all, it really hard to build decks, though. All James's cards are uh, uh, MP. <laughs> you can only swim around so much. Come on, man. I'm a big guy. They're all HP. They're all HP. They're all heavy play. <laughs> right. So how do you store your cards? Because I know we both do it a little differently. Yeah. I took kind of a page out of your book where I do some of my stuff like you do now. But anything that like I played through that set for a standard season or I opened a reasonable amount of, I have in long boxes alphabetically with my foils in a, uh, like an inner sleeve um, to help protect the foil a little bit because condition of foils is kind of important and they're easily damaged. So like even in a long box, I leave those with just a inner sleeve on them. But yeah, any, any set that I played a reasonable amount of. So all of the standard legal sets... Uh, like Mystery Boosters, Modern Horizons. That stuff is all alphabetically in a box or a couple boxes in some cases. And that's, I arrange that chronologically. I kind of have my entertainment center set up in like two areas. That's where I store my collection. And then the area that's right in front of me over the TV is like just big enough to store two long boxes for every set that's standard legal. And then once rotation happens, I take the boxes that are rotating out and they go in the side with like the bulk of the collection. That kind of stuff I don't use binders for. Um, I've kind of gotten away from using binders completely. They're just kind of a pain when you're trying to build a deck. You got to think to yourself, oh, is that card in a binder or is that card in a fat pack box or is that card in a long box? When you have the same cards or the cards from a set in a couple of different places. It makes it hard to find them when you're, you know, brewing or whatever. Um, so I've gotten rid of almost all my binders and I just keep all that stuff in long boxes. Um, I do have one binder that has like all my special stuff, all my like high end reserve list and my promo cards and like my alt art stuff and the stuff that's kind of special to me. I do have in a binder because that's not really stuff that's going to be, like in a long box anyway. Most of it's not stuff that I have enough of to fill up a long box. So I just kind of keep that in a binder. And then all of my like staples that I've accumulated from like the period in time when I didn't play like most of my modern stuff. Um, so some of the stuff that I bought for Commander, some of the stuff I bought for Legacy, um, I keep like you do in like a 3000 count box in penny sleeves um and i do mine alphabetically by color so like all my artifacts will be in like one partition and every copy of 
you know, whatever card it is, chromatic sphere will be in a penny sleeve in the seas and artifact. So I have mine. I've got these, I guess they're 3000 count boxes. They're called like the monster shoe box. Okay. Uh, is like the, the name on the bottom is I think BCW is who makes them. And I have every card that is put away. Mm-hmm. It's not in a deck is uh, sorted by a set and then alphabetically by basically collector number. So the okay. collector numbers are in Wooberg order uh, starting alphabetically. So, you know, Wooberg order and all the cards in each color are alphabetical. Okay. Um, I have a, a sorting tray that it perpetually has cards on it because I always <laughs> get down to like the last like 30 cards. Yeah. And they're from 30 different sets. And I'm just like, Ugh, I don't want to go through and like pull out all these boxes to find these. Right. But all the cards up there need to be sorted or they're like parts of decks where I'm like stacking up the cards. I'm like, I'm going to sleep this one day. Oh, I should say that all my card sleeves or all my cards in their boxes are like you said, I have every, all of them are in penny sleeves. Basically I fill a penny sleeve up and then anything extra just kind of hangs out behind it. Mm-hmm. So like okay. it's re- really easy to go through and like flip and say like, Oh, I need this card from cons. I need uh become immense. Okay. I go green, look for the bees. Here are all my become immenses. Mm-hmm. So I have it all sorted out like that. The higher end stuff, reserve list stuff. I have these. I have a safe mm-hmm. that has a important family documentation and yeah. a bunch of reserve list and high end foils. Um, <laughs> so I have it. I have this safe that I have uh, these cards in four by four binders. Yeah, and it's just a binder of like reserve list stuff. A b- binder of like foil depths and reanimator stuff for legacy and mm-hmm. then like some foil lands and things like that but they just yeah. hang out in the safe and i have a uh like dollar store like uh container of uh desiccant mm-hmm. that like just kind of keeps the uh the safe generally dry yeah it just lives in there yeah it gets cycled out every couple months mm-hmm. uh and that's, that's where my legacy decks are as well yeah the other thing that is a little unique about how I keep my cards mm-hmm. for when they go out on the road is my wife's super big into accessories. Yeah. <laughs> so over like, not like jewelry and stuff, but like getting neat things for the things that you have. And yeah. so she went and did like this giant internet deep dive. Okay. And she found this guy in Michigan named Aaron Kane. Mm-hmm. And he makes custom magic deck boxes. Okay. Where you get to pick the style of box. He has like six or eight or something different styles of boxes mm-hmm. in terms of how they close, how big they are. Uh, if you're a commander player, he has them set up so you can, he has a hole cut out so you can see your commander. Oh, that's cool. In the box and stuff like that. You can pick, so you pick the style of box you want. You pick the wood that you want. He has a bunch of different options for wood, and he hand makes these boxes. Wow. And they are super nice. I also have a uh, uh, a matching um, play mat holder 
that is mm-hmm. like a handmade wooden box that has like magnetic closures and stuff. Very nice, very nice. Mm-hmm. But I've had these boxes, like I've been playing like legacy side events and I've had a judge walk up to me and go like, is that an Aaron Kane box? <laughs> I have those same boxes. They're super nice. And just keep walking. Yeah. Like just no one's ever said anything like, oh, cool foil out legacy deck. But the box it was in, <laughs> that was a plus. So if you like want to like get a fancier kind of box to like keep your like prized commander deck or mm-hmm. like that modern deck that you're always going to play forever and ever. Right. Uh, Aaron Kane. Now that his turnaround time is a little slow. I think my wife had to order them like three months in advance. Yeah. But I mean, they're all handmade. They're all it's handmade. Like yes. Yeah. You know, cranking them out of an assembly line. Yeah. But if that's something that you're interested in, I got to give him a, a shout out. Yeah. So Aaron Kane. Uh, yeah, makes... they're they're beautiful. Yes, they are very nice. Gorgeous. I use deck boxes that are nowhere near that nice. <laughs> I have a bunch of those uh, deck pro or pro deck boxes that I'm looking at right now, or these Star City Games deck case. Yeah, that's typically what I use the like plastic nylon whatever Velcro closure deck yeah. box that's like two ninety nine on Star City Games' website. I've got a ton of those. Yeah, I think that's what I use. From the from what I can see, mine uh, are Ultra Pro boxes, the ones that are slightly nicer than the Star City ones. But those yep. have just been accumulated from like being at the shop and yep. like needing a box, and like that's the five dollar box in the case or whatever. Yep. So like my two my if I have two Legacy decks together, they both live in wooden box. Like Dark Depths right now just lives in the its high end wooden box in mm-hmm. the uh, in, in the safe. <laughs> Hasn't seen the light of day in months. Hasn't seen the light of day in months. And I don't know if it's good anymore. (laughs) You know what people do now? They make instant speed sharks that fly and block 2020s. (laughs) That's not okay. Yeah, but you got to let them get to six mana. No, you just three mana, one blue, two to blue. And you just get a one, one blocker. And they draw a card. And they draw a card. And there's Archmage's Charm. Yeah. Yes, that came up in this video. It's like, <laughs> it's like I stole someone's Merit Lage. I'm like, oh my god. That is a thing that can happen. And there's Okos. There are just so many things. And they can get to 23? 23? Yeah. That's like 40. <laughs> it might as well be. So, uh, so yeah. I don't know how often uh, Merit Lage is going to get to come out to play. But that's all right. We're going to start uh, opposition agenting people and hull breachering people. Yeah, we are. We are. The world will be right again one day. So what other uh, what other kinds of stuff do you use? Like when you're like, what do you like to use? Like, what kind of sleeves do you like? I'm a dragon shield person. I yeah, tried so the, I. I tried the katanas and they they were the new hotness and they just felt like they got really st- tacky really yeah. fast well they went from unshuffleable because they're too slippery to unshuffleable because they stick like instantly there was no good period in there yeah it was super weird so like i like dragon shield mats i bought like a display box on amazon mm-hmm. of like 10 or 12 or how many uh boxes of dragon shield black mats mm-hmm. for like 
eight dollars a box instead of ten and they're just in my closet i'm like these are my sleeves forever and ever now (laughs) this is me now this is me now same with the like uh the three thousand count boxes i had a hard time finding them Mm -hmm. and then i found them on amazon where i could buy a box of 20 yeah for like a hundred bucks yeah. When like if you buy them individually, like they're ten or twelve, mm-hmm. and I was like five dollars each, cool. So I have a giant cardboard box full of other cardboard boxes, <laughs> um, and I'm like, that's sixty thousand cards worth of cards. Hopefully, I don't use all of these, but one day, one day, yeah. I think right now on my shelf I have eighteen of them. Whew, that's a no, lot. No, sorry, twenty. I have twenty. So I have yeah. that many, I have that entire box's worth, but that is all the cards I have for all of Magic, right? For since the beginning of Magic's time. <laughs> so yep. if if it's around for twenty five more years, I might need to buy another box of boxes. Well, so, hopefully it's around in twenty five years. Yes. So Dragon Shield sleeves. Mm-hmm. Um, I get the Ultra Pro, uh, like Pro Fit inner sleeves okay those are the ones that you like yeah also like you can buy them like basically in like packs of like 10 or 20 on amazon yeah and so i just buy i have a bunch of those Mm -hmm. and then like i think they're i don't know like the cheapest penny sleeves imaginable yeah uh to put my cards in for storage or whatever yeah i also whenever i get cards and i get like the hard cases i've bought some hard cases i have like one close one sealed one mm-hmm. but for when i would do things on card sphere which god i haven't been on card sphere in forever like i have all these uh hard plastic sleeves to put cards into mail yeah i never bought top loaders um i just keep all the ones that i get from ordering cars so i've got i don't know a couple hundred of them at least i bet yeah i'm the same way the reason I bought some is when I was super deep into Puka Trade and Card Sphere, I was sending out cards faster than they were coming in. Yeah. So I was like, I need a way to like send these because I like mm-hmm. ran out. But yeah. now I am bringing in more cards that I'm sending out. So. <laughs> so you're replenishing. So I have replenished. I am good yeah. on that. I also use the Dragon Shields uh, for like my regular playing. I've tried just about everything. I've tried the Eclipses. I don't like them. I've tried the Katanas. I don't like them. I don't think anything shuffles as nice as the Dragon Shields. And just because I you know, work on cars for a living, there's only so many steps removed from grime that I can get. It seems like there's always you know, some sort of grease or grit around me somewhere. So I'm pretty tough on playmats and sleeves. And the Dragon Shields tend to hold up better than anybody else. I don't, I'm not super picky on the color. The only thing that I do is try not to like hemorrhage information with whatever color I pick. So like, I'm not going to, you know, buy a set of red sleeves for my red deck and I'm not going to buy a set of green sleeves for my green deck. I'll typically just, you know, whatever's on the shelf I'll buy as long as it's like black or, you know, in adjacent to black color slate or like that petrol was kind of cool, that teal yeah. or whatever. Um, just something where you're not going to give away a bunch of information. It's not that that's super relevant, but you know sometimes it can matter at a 
you know, a GP or whatever, when you're sitting down for round six and you're and you're winning in for day two and you've got your red deck wins and boom sleeves and an explosion mat and you sit down across from your opponent and they know to keep a hand that can, you know, gain some life in the first couple turns or whatever. Yeah. Also the other thing to be mindful of when you're picking your sleeve color is the darker the sleeve, typically mm-hmm. the more opaque they are. So especially when you, if you're in a format that has uh, double face cards, if you're not going to have the, the placeholder card. Yeah. The checklist card. You need to make sure that you can't see the card through the sleeve. Yeah. And like another reason why I tend to get black sleeves if possible. Yeah. So like, if you're like, I like sky blue, just there's a chance that someone might be like, Oh, I can see through your card or see through your sleeve. So just, just uh, remember that. So that's again, why I kind of pick darker colors like black and dragon seals are typically, pretty good at being opaque though yeah, some I know... of the lighter ones you can see through like you said the sky blue and i know the yellows you can see through also yeah so just keep that in mind yep um and i use um kmc's for my inner sleeves okay uh, those are the ones that i really like and I, like you said you can buy them cheap on amazon i think i got 12 packs of 100 for like 18 bucks or something on yeah. amazon I also have a um, a very nice Ultra Pro nine page uh, or nine slot per page binder Mm -hmm. that I use for the antiquated purpose of having a trade binder. People still do that. Not since March. Yeah. Um, I had it. Unfortunately, like uh, I don't know if our store is typical, but like. The trading that happened was very much on the commander side of things. Yeah. And the standard side of things, people just got the standard cards they needed. Right. So, like, didn't really ever move a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you'd be trading with someone and they would have all weird commander stuff. Right. And they'd be like, oh, I want this card for my commander deck. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I don't want your Zur the Enchanter. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So... But I do, I have like a nice, uh, again, my wife got it because it was nice, nine by nine or nine page uh, binder mm-hmm. that like I had all my cards in, which I have not opened since I sold a bunch of stuff in like April. Yeah. Just sitting on a shelf. So One day. One day we'll go back out. We'll have to worry about if people can see through our sleeves and whatnot. Yep. It's like, oh man, am I leaking information with my unsleeved arena deck? I don't know. <laughs> so, do you play unsleeved on arena? Hundred percent unsleeved. Me too. Like I've okay, good. thought about like getting sleeves. I went through like a brief period where I I uh, played my like qualificate qualifier weekend sleeves mm-hmm. that you got, and then like that's just an extra click. Yeah. Or two, and I'm just like, no, I don't care enough. Unsleeved. Unsleeved. Like the people that like have the nice soul ring or like uh black lotus, I'm like, you're you're really going too hard here. But okay. Yeah. Don't want to So like when when it, back when I used to play, sleeves didn't exist. Um sleeves didn't really come into being until I was almost out of the game when I was a kid. So I never played with sleeves. Everything was unsleeved. 
and even occasionally now like if i'm doing like a friday night draft or whatever standard sets you know getting drafted at the time as long as i don't open anything super crazy a lot of times i'll play those on sleeve too just for like nostalgia's sake and that's why i don't play sleeves on arena because i like seeing the magic back it makes me feel like i'm a kid again also like if james's deck is bad in yeah. draft he's way 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 more likely to play it unsleeved oh yeah <laughs> yeah like like he wants to punish the cards for being like not great he's like oh god you guys are awful fine yeah maybe want to drop you on the True. ground and like rub you around a little bit yeah like, yeah <laughs> shove them in my pocket i've done that before yeah yeah and i'll be like well, oh my god you're like there's 35 cents worth of cards in this deck it's like okay yeah. cool i might have drafted a rare and it didn't make it into the deck it's in my car already the rest of these are all commons and uncommons so they can live in my yeah. pocket for the it's night it's fine yeah yeah it'll probably live on the table at the end of the night too <laughs> yeah. so we're going to talk real quick about some commander legends finance stuff um i've had some questions about it so i'm just going to give you a, a couple cards real quick opinions on and kind of what the what the cards in general are doing right now. Um, we just had the collector boxes release, and a bunch of them get cracked. That's always what drives this, the prices of singles down. In any set that's had collector's boxes, prices have tanked as soon as collector boxes get opened because it forces a whole bunch of rares into the market. Opposition agent is one that we had talked about last week or the week before, one to keep your eye on. They ha have fallen and have stabilized about 17 bucks right now. This card will see play. I don't think it's going to go any cheaper than about 17 bucks. So that one's probably pretty safe to buy now if you're looking to buy into it. There's definitely upside. Same thing with Hull Breacher. It uh, has also fallen and stabilized right around 16 bucks. I say stabilized. Opposition Agent has been around $17 for like a day and a half at this point, whereas it was dropping pretty regularly before then. Uh, same thing with Hull Breacher. Like the last three, four times I've checked the prices of both of them, they've been pretty consistent. So I think they've kind of hit the bottom. Opposition Agent will definitely see Legacy play. I'm pretty sure Hull Breacher will also. That's not one that I've seen a ton of people really high on like I have with Opposition Agent, but like Hull Breacher really bones a brainstorm. It does, and like I pointed out in the pre-show, right, if you're playing that Echo of Eons deck, yeah. it is your, like, Narset 5 to 6 or 5 to 8 if, like, you want to go super hard. Right, and it's also a ham sandwich for closing the game out with. Yeah, it's a 3-2. It's, like, yep. cool. Um, yep. It's most of a Delver. Yeah, and if you're into the extended art cards... Mm -hmm. Right now, there's really only a couple dollars difference between the regular Opposition Agent and Hall Breacher and their full art version, or extended oh, art okay. version. Well, that's good to know, too. It's like 16 versus like 18 to 20 for both of yeah. them. Okay. So it's not too, too different. Yeah. So if you're like, well, this the extended art version will be a little bit rarer, maybe long term or more desirable, and that's what you want. Mm -hmm. just keep that in mind. It's not like it's a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, legacy players do love their shinies. They do. So, they do. I don't do. know if like the, the non-foil extended arts are 
like the same level of desirability as like a foil. True, but when you get to the foils, like the foil opposition agents are sixty five dollars. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, they're the full art expensive. ones. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. there comes a point where you're just like, I can't foil out this legacy deck. You're just like, right. no, <laughs> bad. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, they're they both are like that sixteen dollar price range. Yeah, and they will probably they will probably see play. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Again, I don't play a ton of Commander. Like, I don't know like how much play like Hull Breacher would see oh, no. in Commander. Hull Breacher is going to be a staple. Oh, you think so? Oh yeah. Okay. Opposition Agent. The only reason why Opposition Agent wouldn't be a staple is because it's not fun. It might get like gentlemen's agreements out of the format or whatever. But Hull Breacher it- just kind of fits the right. Well, yeah, Hope Reacher is like along the same lines as like Ristic Study or Smothering Tithe or something like that, where it's just kind of a part of the format. But like, whereas opposition, well, like opposition agent like actively bones a tutor. Yeah, I mean, the Hope Reacher actively bones drawing cards. Well, drawing extra cards. Yeah, but like you cast a. I don't know, a hydrid crisis. Yeah. And then your opponent just makes six treasures. Like that. Yeah. That's an owie. It like, is like Ristic studies. Like if they don't pay one, you draw a card. Yeah. Right. Like that's a little bit different than. Yeah. You can't but, draw. but like notion thief already exists and isn't absurd in the format. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess my point was if hall breacher doesn't see, like a ton of ton of play, right? Mm-hmm. Then it's its value is only derived from its legacy playability. Right. And, you know, is that playability sixteen dollars worth of playable or is it like ten dollars worth of playable? Or yeah, five. Or five. Right? So mm-hmm. but the thing is is like since this is probably a limited release set like you could kind of see this kind of taking the kind of the the same kind of price that uh true name has had right it's a little bit different than true name it is but the point being is were there are there guess true name came in like one commander deck right in 2013 and like they got to like 15 dollars yeah right like you know is there going to be more of these than there are true name nemesis or Nemesai. <laughs> I don't know. Right? So, I don't know. Like, $16, if you want it, I think is fair. But just be aware that it could go down. Because mm-hmm. it might be in that, like, the new hotness stage. Maybe. Where people are trying it a lot, and then it kind of falls off. But, like, there's Maybe. part of me that's itching, itching to get some of these at $16. So, yeah. I kind of want to. <laughs> yeah. Same with like opposition agent. I'm like, uh, I can get opposition agent and sink holes. Go on. Let's, <laughs> let's do let's a thing. Do it. <laughs> let's do a thing. You're going to have to crack that fetch. Cause I already, I blew up your land. So <laughs> see what you got. Yeah. One more card that I want to talk about are the, I don't even know what they call them. The commander lands, the other half of the battle bond lands, yeah. the battle bond lands when they came out were like, they were pre-ordering high and then they were like five to 10 bucks at release. And then since then have been like steadily 15, 20 bucks, 
even after getting like a pseudo reprint with expeditions, they're still like 15, 20 bucks. So the new ones were like 20 ish pre-order. They once packs started getting cracked, I saw prices down under $5. Like some of them I saw up for two or three bucks a piece and they're currently sitting about five or $10. I would expect these to have a pretty similar price history to the battle bond lands. Like this set is supposed to be printed demand just like battle bond was. So it should have a similar like product distribution, like life cycle COVID aside. Yeah. So not like, I know that there's some restrictions on like print runs and distribution and stuff because of COVID which might affect the price of these cards, but forgetting about that. Cause that's not really something you can like look back in time and correlate to something else that's happened. Um, this should have a similar life cycle to battle bond. It's the same kind of lands. I would expect them to be, you know, similar value. So if you're looking to pick some up or if you're looking for a decent spec, I think these are probably a pretty safe spec. If you've got, you know, some cash that you want to throw around and, you know, maybe triple or quadruple your money on. Yeah, later down the line. Yeah. One more thing that I wanted to say, not so much about the commander lands, but about the opposition agent and hull breacher, is that these cards, like cards from this set, are really only needed by commander players, which only by singles of a card. So if you're looking to pick up... I don't know, like the turtle, the turtle commander from this set, the one that makes things that are tapped or untapped. Yeah. Like you only ever need one of those, right? So that kind of cuts the demand down because when you're opening like Battle for Zendikar and you really want Omnath, like you need four of those for your deck, not just one. So the demand is like four times as high for your Omnath is it is for turtle guy from commander legends if these cards do see eternal format play it like exponentially increases the demand for them because those players need four copies not just one copy so you kind of keep that in mind too if something starts getting popular it'll probably spike pretty aggressively i mean if you look at like hull breacher and opposition agent i was just kind of scrolling through the cards uh, a couple days ago yeah. and they're kind of the most expensive rares like in the set. Oh yeah. Like by far, because they're the only ones that right now seem clearly like playable outside of commander. Right. So like that extra demand is already baked in. Yep. But if I don't know the Mardu enchantment guy, if there's suddenly some weird legacy Mardu enchantment deck. Yeah. Right. He's going to go from like a dollar or two to $20. Okay. You ready for my hot take? Okay. What's your hot take? There's not going to be a Mardu enchantment deck. Obeka brood chronologist. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. There was another card that uh, Bob Wang tweeted about from the set. He was like, "This yeah. is, I don't think I don't think this is the last time this this card is going to be in uh, a deck dump." But I forget what it was. Hmm. There are a few cards that are finding their way into Legacy, and they're not the 
it wasn't just opposition agent and yeah uh i forget what it was but i was like oh i don't know what that is i i ordered some of the uh obeka's like etched foil versions or whatever and okay. i think they were a dollar fifty or two dollars a piece gotcha yeah, so like, if they start seeing legacy play, I'll be in good shape. <laughs> they're they're like sixty cents. Okay. Uh for the for the regular one. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a few of these cards that have kind of found their way into legacy. But if there mm-hmm. is something that like really pops up, you know, like some people are excited for Karik the Thumbless. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, he's but, a storm card. Yeah, he's like 30 cents for the regular one and the like etched foil is 250. Yeah. Uh Wheel of Misk Fortune. Yep, that's the, another one. The full art version is $6. I think the regular version is only a couple. Yeah. Like those are like that is a reasonable card to like have. Like I've already seen like Mengucci post like I don't know how this card works, but yeah. I'm hoping I did it right. Oh, there's a bug on Magic Online. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. That it shows you what your opponent picked before you have to pick how much life to pay. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Like, so Mangucci's like, I want to pay nine. I hope that's right. And you can see that it's like X equals six from the opponent. <laughs> and it's like, dude, you have to pay seven. It's right there. <laughs> Someone's like, is this a bug? And they're like, yes. Yes, it is a bug. It's like, oh, great. I also there was another bug with um, jeweled lotus. I saw somebody posting about where the mana gets stuck in your mana pool. Like you crack a lotus and don't use all the mana, cast your commander, and then that mana just never empties. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> so like you have like your commander tax paid for because of your jeweled lotus. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. So I would look and see if there's any that you find interesting mm-hmm. that you can get in on like the ground floor. Mm-hmm. And um, right, like, but again, I'm of the mindset that if you are going to spec like under a dollar, people. Yeah. Like if it's under a dollar, I think it's probably safe to go. Like I can get some of these, mm-hmm. but like much more than that, I'm kind of like. Mm. I really don't want to uh, risk my risk my dollar reduce on on this. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think those commander lands are a pretty safe spec. Yeah, I think so as well. Like they're going to see play. Yeah, I also don't have an extra couple hundred bucks right now to spec on them. So. Yeah. Yeah, like th- no thanks. Yep. Okay, so I wanted to touch on uh, what I've been doing on Arena, which. At this point for me, Arena Arena has just become uh, a place that you do Kaladesh remastered drafts. You click by the other <laughs> stuff, and you just yeah. draft artifacts. Um, weird, weird. Yeah, I don't know if I'm gonna do these. I did like one, and I was like, oh yeah, this format's pretty good. And then I just kept yeah. winning. Yeah, I'm I'm less I'm less about it now that I've been losing a little bit. But there for a while, I was whew, that was I was plus cash for sure. The uh, format's pretty good. It's better than I remembered. Yeah, uh, part of me, I was like, I wonder, like, I know you can mm-hmm. make, like, set cubes, because I know that Logan had talked about making a con set cube. 
Yeah. And I was like, can I just make a Kaladesh set cube and like take out the stupid sail back and uh, <laughs> just get rid of it? Just get rid of it. Just be like, no one, no one needs you. Go, go away. And uh, put in like a thriving gremlins uh, yep. and just call it good. But I wanted to kind of talk about the format mm-hmm. and kind of how you can be successful in it. Mm-hmm. Just because, as we've talked about, this is kind of the easiest way to get cards. Yeah, build and, your collection out. Right. And if you're like plus, probably at 55 to 60% win rate, you can kind of make money. Yep. 55%, it depends on how you're getting your 55%. Right. If it's a bunch of like five threes and the occasional mm-hmm. four three, you're like ahead. Right. If it's like seven twos and then like two threes, you're less ahead. You're right. you're actually down. So yeah, it kind of depends on like yeah, it depends on how you like get there mm-hmm. for your win rate. But you can you can kind of stay close to even or like turn a profit mm-hmm. uh, and get a lot of drafts out of it. So I hit mythic in draft on Friday. Congratulations. Thank you. I went in at number 293. We are not there now. We've gone down precipitously. But I went (laughs) in at 293. So my win rate through, I think I started in gold Mm -hmm. to mythic was I had a 64%-ish win rate. Nice. I was 83 and 44. Man, that's awesome. Since I've been in mythic, we are... Exactly 50%. <laughs> and it's the worst kind of 50%. It's like infinite two threes followed by like a seven two. Yeah. So I've kind of, I, at one point I was up like 6,000 6, gems. Ooh. And now I'm down like 3,000 from where yeah. I started. But these things happen. So uh, the... My opinion on the format at the lower ranks at like gold and platinum Mm -hmm. is um, it seemed like I was able to really punish people by being aggressive. Yeah. For a while there, I was just taking like all of the good red cards and then whatever was left over. Yeah. Whatever other color. Yep. Now, I don't know if the format for me has changed because I'm at mythic and people are drafting kind of different decks. Yeah. That I'm playing Which could against, very well be. Or if the format has kind of self-corrected itself. But it seems like a lot of decks now have some sort of engine baked mm-hmm. into them to kind of prevent them from flooding. Yeah, I've noticed I've played against a bunch of uh, like the module decks where people have, you know, multiple copies of the uncommon modules and sometimes even the rare one thrown in there. Yeah, and they can just kind of like they just build this weird Rube Goldberg contraption that right. ends up making a bunch of creatures every turn. Yeah. Or drawing cards. I um, had SRAM plus Conviction. Mm-hmm. So, like, I could play Conviction early in the game and just yeah. use it to get in damage. And then when I drew SRAM and, like, the game had stalled out because there were a bunch of tokens on the on the ground or whatever... I mm-hmm. could then just be like, all right, I've got nine mana. I'm going to draw three cards this turn. Yeah. Your go. And then just kind of accrue advantage that way. 
So it seems mm-hmm. like now there's a lot more. The decks, you need to have some way to like accrue advantage. Yeah. Your car, my card advantage in the earlier uh, ranks was just making you dead. Mm-hmm. I had multiple drafts where I had my opponent literally dead on turn five, or they would concede on turn four. Because mm-hmm. I would just go like two, three, four, and they like miss a land drop, or I have like a removal spell on turn five, and they just can't do anything. Yeah, I mean, I had multiple decks where I could go one, two, three, and have people concede. Where you yeah. just you start on the uh, was it night market lookout? Yeah, yeah. Now I feel like there's a lot more people that are drafting like, like I see a lot more like blue green energy decks that have the thriving turtle. Yeah. Or they have uh, the ether theorist, who, yep. when the first the set first came out, someone at the shop it might have been me, it might have been Anthony or someone else called it an ether terrorist so i still call it the ether terrorist every time i see it the ether terrorist there's the ether theorist it's a one three it might as well be a terrorist yeah. when you're playing infinite two ones <laughs> um but it seems like you this is a little harder to get under people now because at least at the higher rank yeah but from what i saw at the lower ranks like you said if you're taking like red cards in a good curve and like reasonable removal spells, mm-hmm. it it works out pretty well. Yep. So at the lower ranks, my curves were way lower, mm-hmm. uh, to the point where like I wasn't taking four drops unless I absolutely had to. Yeah. And now at the higher ranks, like the four drop removal spells seem more reasonable to actually like have in your deck. Mm-hmm. Right, like people are playing stuff that's big enough that you're like at parity at ma- on mana, yeah, or a little you, ahead. It just has to go, and it doesn't matter what the cost is. Yeah, where like before it was like everyone's just playing two drops, and you're like, I can't just spend my turn four to spend four mana to kill their two, right? When they're just going to play two more two drops next turn. Mm-hmm. So. Be aggressive, I think, still. Like, I still don't have a ton of higher rarity or higher mana cost cards in my deck, but I have Mm -hmm. a few more. But, like, when I say a few more of legitimate things that I have to tap five lands for, maybe I have two or three in a deck. Yeah, not counting the stuff you cheat out. Yeah, not counting the stuff I cheat out, which we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. The format itself is... 17 lands is like the most you can play. I'm almost always cut a land down to 16. Okay. And I've run uh, 15 and 14 land decks if I have uh, Renegade maps. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I've run like... I think I sent you a message about a 14 land deck I wanted to play that had a bunch of uh, Tune with Ethers in it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's fine as well when you're pulling the lands out of your deck. The Renegade maps pull double duty... Because they let you improvise things mm-hmm. as well. But like 15 is usually what I what I end up with if I have like one or two renegade maps. Mm-hmm. Especially if I have a way to use that renegade map as like a mox right. uh, earlier in the game. Yeah, you get really punished in this format for like... It's hard because you get punished for missing a land drop really hard. Because mm-hmm. like, you, like the two drops are all pretty good. Yeah. And then you also get punished for flooding out. 
Right, because there's not very many good sinks. Yeah, or like there are, but they're they're things that have to get put together, right? Like right. you've yeah, got to yeah, have yeah. like the module like that gives you an energy plus the module that when you get an energy, you get a plus one plus one counter on something. Yeah, right. Like that's fine, but that's kind of like two cards. And yep. when it comes together, you just get to bury your opponent. Yeah, but it's also two cards that you had to take turns off to do. It's the, yeah. like they're both three drops, so you're taking turn three and turn four off, and hoping you're not dead on turn five. Yeah, but like they give you something if it gets to that like mid game that like or late game like turn like ten. Yeah, where like your opponent draws land land for mm-hmm. their for their two turns, and you drew land land, but you had a creature that you could put two plus one plus one counters on. Because yeah. you had this little engine set up. Mm-hmm. But other than that, there really aren't a ton of great places to put mana. Like the the thing that makes Thopters, I wasn't yeah. taking that initially. But I started taking it, not in my really aggressive decks, but in my more mid-rangey decks. Because when you get to that point where you like draw a land, sometimes just being able to like make a Thopter mm-hmm. is good enough. Yeah. You're just like, I've got to have something to do with my mana this turn. I can't just well, pass. It's also a little bit better in this format because, like, the fact that it's an artifact matters for stuff. Yeah. Well, like, in, like, Platinum and Diamond, I wouldn't take it because I was like, this format's way too fast for that to matter. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, the number of times, like, my opponent would, like, play that on turn three and then never activate it. Mm-hmm. Because, like, a one-one didn't matter because they were getting smushed, and like oh, I've got to like play something, and they like played a real four-drop, and then you're just like, kill it, kill you, yeah. yeah. And they just never activated their thing. But now that the game seemed to be going longer, I'm like, all right, I guess this is like a reasonable thing to do. Yep. There are some cards that might not read as very good mm-hmm. that are very good that i just want to point out yeah the first one on this list i have passed a bunch of times stop it's it's yeah well i think this actually happened like now that i'm thinking back on it this happened in the actual format too right yeah the card nobody wanted at first and then at the end it was like the best thing you could do i remember marshall talking about it and just saying like this card's way better than i realized and yeah. that is Midnight Oil. I actually yeah. pack one, picked one. It, it usually wheels. Yeah. Um, so it's two black black for an enchantment that comes in with seven, I don't know, oil counters or something on it. I think they're hour counters. Hour counters. Okay. So every upkeep, you take two hour counters off. Mm-hmm. And your maximum hand size is equal to the number of hour counters on Midnight Oil. Mm-hmm. And then you draw an extra card each turn. So you're drawing two cards a turn, but your hand size goes down by two each turn until eventually your hand size is zero. Yeah. Your hand size goes to seven, to five, to three, to one, to zero. And then whenever you discard a card, you take one damage. Mm -hmm. I only have ever discarded one card to it. Yeah. And that was because my opponent cast a Baral's Expertise the turn before and I drew my seven drop improvised guy and I could only play 
I could only play the two other improvised creatures in my hand. I ran out of artifacts to tap. Yeah. But for the most part, it just says draw two cards. You have to be mindful this isn't like a turn four play. Like if it's in your opening hand, it's kind of nice to know that you have it there as like an insurance policy. Mm-hmm. But you want to like get your hand empty or get down to like one card mm-hmm. and then play it. And then just use it to like bury your opponent because yeah. you have a howling mine. Right. So one-sided you, howling mine. A one-sided howling mine. And you just need to make sure your deck isn't full of like a ton of five drops. Yep. Right. You want to be able to like draw a two and a three and play both. Yeah. You want to double spell like constantly. So you yep. need to make sure your curve is low, but the, the card has won me games. I had no business winning. Mm-hmm. Like my opponents on the other side with a life clock crafters bestiary, which is good. I actually splashed for it in a deck. Mm-hmm. And like drawing extra cards off their creatures and just drawing two cards a turn and I was able to keep up. Yeah. So the card is a wall of text that might not intuitively make sense, but basically you just draw two cards a turn and as long as you can cast them both, you're fine. So you just have to build your deck with being able to cast them both. Mm-hmm. And if you're like red, black, like you're always going to cast two spells a turn. Right. Uh, Probably if you're red, uh, if you're black green as well, you can make a deck that pretty easily can cast two spells a turn. Yeah, green uh, gets pretty spendy at the top end. It though. does, it does. Uh, like blue m- is can be a little harder because that takes a little more controlling usually. Yeah. Yep. But this is a card that people like undervalue, so you can like get it late. I was like halfway through pack two in my latest draft, like yeah. thoroughly red white. And there was a midnight oil and like I almost just took it and went to black. Yeah. And I was like, no, you have no black cards. <laughs> you can't save this. Half your deck is red, white uncommons. You can't take <laughs> a double this, black spell. A double black spell. You can't do it. So another card that has like really impressed me or two is uh the Ether Chaser and Ether Swooper. And I guess I can throw Ether Poisoner in here as well. Yeah, I was just gonna add that one. Yeah. Uh, I like, I think my hierarchy is like chaser than swooper than poisoner. Um, I don't know. I really like the poisoner cause it's a removal spell. It is, but I look at it as like the chaser kind of just gets to, it almost always gets in on turn two. There's yeah. like four cards that can block it or five that can block it in the format profitably. Mm-hmm. It doesn't ever have to worry about like servos. Right. And then the swooper just always gets in, like yeah. always gets in. And the poisoner usually gets in on turn two or like makes you a one one and kills their two drop. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then later in the game, I think it is better than the uh, the chaser. Yeah. So these are good because uh, like the chaser and the swooper are both aggressive. So like they're helping you put on pressure but they're sneaky artifacts. Right. And you need sneaky artifacts in this deck or in this format mm-hmm. for the improvised creatures. Yeah, which are all pretty good. Yeah, which are all which are all good for Gear Seeker Serpent, which uh we'll talk about in a second. Um yep. and like just getting little triggers, uh what is it? 
is it Reckless Fireweaver, the 1-3, the red 1-3 yeah. that when an artifact comes into play. So now, like, your Aether Chaser attacks for effectively 3. Right. It's first attack. Or, like, you get energy built up and you can just, like, suicide, like, two or three things in to get two or three triggers mm-hmm. to win the game that way. Yeah, um, I've seen those go late a bunch of drafts, too. I've had decks with, like, three or four of them. Yeah, I have... Uh, the deck I have together right now has three ether chasers now i took one of them i was was talking about the pinger guy oh yeah the pinger guy goes really late late yeah and like uh was it salivating gremlins yep right the fact that your thing is plus two plus oh and triple right like if you have a couple energy like i've had one of those attack for like 10 Mm -hmm. and you're just like all right like you're gonna block but you're gonna take enough damage that now i can kill you next turn so just having those sneaky artifacts where you don't have to actually take an artifact mm-hmm. is is good i guess we'll talk about the improvise and gear seeker serpent so gear seeker serpent is five blue blue for a five six you can pay six and a no five and a blue five and a blue yep and make it unblockable mm-hmm. and it costs one list to cast for each artifact that you have in play yeah so it's kind of improvised it's kind of improvised it's basically affinity yeah, right yeah all right it's affinity um, when this set was out, I remember doing drafts at a GP where I just like tried to like slam these for two mana. Yep. Like I remember one game I was stuck on three lands and just played like back to back Gear Seeker Serpents. <laughs> um, but this one you do get to cheat it out. Like things like Cogworkers Puzzle Knot, even when it's like off color. Yeah. Which effectively just makes it servo schematic which is an uncommon <laughs> weird right weird yeah uh like that's just it takes two off of your gear seeker serpent yeah and i've had numerous games where like my opponent and i are kind of at like parody and mm-hmm. then they just slam one of these and i can't remove it and i'm just dead to it in two turns because of the unblockable clause and it just totally changes like a game that i felt pretty confident in yeah, I mean, I've had people scoop to just one resolving before from, like, 20 life because they knew they couldn't deal with it. Yeah, and I've not done that, but I have, like, yeah. been like, okay, how can I win this? And I've tried my best and just can't. Yeah, um, well, and I mean, I'm talking, like, when you're at parity at, like, third stall. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Know, I've top, top deck one and played it, and, you know, my opponent's at, you know, 19 or 20 life or whatever, and they're like, well, I can't deal with that, so. Yeah, so we're done. Yeah. And then the improvised creatures? Mm-hmm. When I brought these up, you were like, that 3-3 three, three with Menace, Sweatworks Brawler. Card's yeah. good. Like, mm-hmm. you wouldn't think a 3-3 three, three Menace would be that impressive on turn three. But it, it ends up being good. Like, we get, yeah. there's like a 2-3 uh, common uh, Menace guy for two and a black, yep. which is kind of similar. But mm-hmm. the extra point of toughness and the fact that you can put it with Inventor's Goggles... I was just going to say that the inventor's goggles can pay for it and then auto equip. Yeah. And then you have a four or five yep. uh, menace, which is basically four or five unblockable on the first, like unlike turn three. So like turns right. four or five and probably six, like they have a hard time blocking it. And like one removal spell or like pump spell just kind of clears the way for like you to win the game to have it just run away. Yep. Then the uncommon improvised creatures, uh, you have Maverick Thopterist, 
uh, Enraged Cyclops. And then what's the black one? Um, I know what it does. It's a it's four and a black for a two two, and when a non token artifact creature di- artifact dies, you get to make a servo. But I forget what it's called. Ellie and something or other. Maybe. And then there's yeah. the barricade smasher or barricade basher or whatever. The seven five that has to attack each turn of fable for five for yeah, seven right, for seven yeah. for seven. Yeah. And then there's the common, the is it the Fen Holler? Yep. Uh, that's a five five for six and a black that can't be blocked by artifacts. Mm-hmm. These all sound like whatever for their mana cost, but a curve of like you know goggles into Cogworkers Puzzle Knot into you know anything, and then right. you're playing your seven drops on turn four. Mm-hmm. And you know a seven five that has to attack every turn isn't worth seven mana, but right. it's definitely worth four. Oh yeah, right. Getting to play it on four, or like the Maverick Thopterist, like the fact that it gives you two Thopterists to then cast your next Maverick Thopterist. Right. I lost the game to my opponent who cast missed their third land drop. Then when they hit their third land, they cast a Maverick Thopterist. And then the next turn, they cast Ether Trade Winds, picked mm. up their Master Thopterist, cast it again. Cast it again. Then cast Leave in the Dust on their own Master Thopterist, or Maverick <laughs> Thopterist, and cast it again. And they ended up with six 1 1 flyers over the wow. course of like three turns. And I was just like, well, I can't beat you casting the same uncommon three times. <laughs> yeah. Sigh. So. Like, those are all, like, really good and reasons to kind of be in those color combinations, but you do have to try to support them. Yeah. So, again, this is where the ether creatures come in mm-hmm. handy, right? Where they let you, like, make an artifact, right? So you can, you know, uh, you know, goggles into, like, goggles into ether chaser and making it a 3-3 first strike that then mm-hmm. makes you a token for your sweatworks brawler right. that then you get to cast like, you know, your six drop improvised guy on turn four. Cause you made two artifacts. Yeah. Right. Those are, those are the kind of things you want to do. Cause that puts your opponent really far behind. Mm-hmm. But again, like you have to like your server schematics go up in value. Cogworkers puzzle knots, you know, just random little artifacts all go up in value because they're not just whatever the artifact says. They're a mana rock. They're a mox. Yeah. Basically you're like, Oh, I'll play this renegade map and sometimes it'll be my second land Mm -hmm. and sometimes it'll be one mana for my um, sweatworks brawler. Right. Depending on what you need it to be. So it just gives you a, gives you a lot of things that have more flexibility. Mm -hmm. Then I have thriving turtle here. This is the most egregious of the thriving creatures. (laughs) Um, The, the rhino, the thriving rhino, I said beforehand was good, and I vaguely remember going through the same thing with um, the turtle. But like the turtle looks pretty dumb on turn one, but it if it's in a blue green energy deck, oh yeah, and it's suddenly like turn three and it's a three six, like it's basically never dying. It just can't die, right? So like it's not uncommon for your opponent to just be like, oh. I'll play my turtle and that's a one four and I'll play, 
you know, servant this, of the conduit, servant of the conduit, and I guess I'll I don't need that energy, so I'll put two counters on it, and then I'll play um, a tune with Ether to hit my third land drop, yeah, and then put a counter on it, and then you're just like, I can't beat this stupid one drop. <laughs> what am I yeah. supposed to do? Yep, it requires you to build like a very specific deck. I think it's best in like blue green energy. Oh, definitely with long tusk cubs and rogue refiners. Yeah, like you're just like, oh, this stupid one drop is really good. So yeah. like, it might be a card that you were like passing even in that deck, but it's definitely worth playing in that deck. And not saying that's gonna like pull you into that deck, but if right. you already have some energy stuff going on, mm-hmm. right, it can get the job done. So even well, I've something- like third pick the Thriving Turtle. Yeah, like even like turtle into like Aether Swooper. Yeah. Like, okay, you're gonna have you have your choice of do I wanna have a two five and a one two flyer on turn three, or do I wanna have a one four, a one two flyer and a one one token? Mm-hmm. Like you just have those options. Yep. And that's not even counting like did you play something else that gives you energy? Because you might get all of those things, mm-hmm. right? You might get the big turtle and the servo and something else. So it is like better than it looks. Mm-hmm. And then this one's maybe, maybe this one's just me. I like never take oval chase, uh, dragster. I also don't take it. The four mana six, one trample yeah, haste, the ball, ball lightning, the ball lightning. And then I kept losing to it. Okay. Where it would come down and either they would have like a trick to get it through and get mm-hmm. the second attack or like it'd be a situation where like you're like I don't want to just like have this be a four mana removal spell and so I'm going to like take this hit. Yeah. Right? And then it's just like oh I should have taken that hit now I'm like too far behind. <laughs> what do you think about the 4-4 um, the four four that can only attack twice? I actually like that one. I like that one, I guess especially like in the aggro deck. It like kills usually kills something the first shot, second shot. I typically have a removal spell and it gets through, and then you draw two cards and refill. Yeah, and they don't want to block it a lot of times because yeah. they're like it's gonna die anyway. Right. So why bother? I do yeah. like that one, but I have taken the oval chase dragster a little bit higher than I had before. I still don't kind of feel like it's like an early pick maybe in like, you know, the five to eight range. Like I, I pick it, but I wasn't picking it in that range before I was just like, eh, I don't want this card, but now I'm a little more apt to take it. Those are just some thoughts I had on Kalidus draft. I've played, yeah. I think I'm at 30 is 32 drafts. Whew, that's a lot. 33. I'm on 33. Okay. And like I said, I'm... Way more than me. I'm only, I don't know, 10-ish in. I'm 3,000 gems in and like 80,000 gold. I'm getting Whew. to the point where I should probably stop. So, and I'm not going to be high enough in Mythic to like qualify. Yeah. Like, unless like my next draft is like a 6-7-0. <laughs> then maybe... Maybe I'll like be like, okay, I should keep doing this for another week. Yeah. But we might be reaching the end of uh, me doing this for a while. Yeah. 
We've got to re- replenish the gold stockpiles. So uh, real quick before we do our outro here, uh, you had mentioned you wanted to do something this episode because of when it's going to release. Yes. So, so, uh, so what are you thankful for this year? So I'll try to keep it. Well, I mean, I guess if we're going to be like, you know, sappy and a hundred percent, I guess the baby, yeah, uh, there you go. There we go. The baby, the I tiny guess terrorist. the tiny terrorist, the ether terrorist that lives in my yeah. house. Um, <laughs> but you know, if it wasn't for like arena, I just wouldn't be playing magic. Yeah. Could you imagine if like the pandemic happened during like shadows? Ooh. Right. Like, like magic would like have ceased to exist basically. Yeah. So that's actually the same thing that I was going to say. I had told you like when we were talking about doing this, that I was going to surprise you in the middle with mine. And we actually cut the section out, <laughs> but that's exactly what I was going to say is that I have been very thankful for arena and for the way that they've been kind of releasing the sets where they've been doing like a set and then like an additional set and then a normal release and then an additional set and a normal release. And I think the pace that they were doing it at has really helped keep things fresh and keep people from getting burnt out when you can only play on arena. Yeah. I mean, if all I had was, you know, historic standard and uh, like, Zendikar drafts, I probably yeah. wouldn't be on like Zendikar draft 100. Right. But between Kaladesh and Zendikar, mm-hmm. I think I've done like 80 drafts yeah. since Zendikar's come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, survey says uh, 75. I've done 75. Wow. So, and I've done that 75 on under $50. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, just the fact that it's like given given us a way to like stay connected with magic and, yep. you know, the fact that they're trying to build Pioneer. So apparently Pioneer Masters comes out early next quarter year. One. Yeah. I think, I think it's a quarter one. So it might be a situation where we have Kaldheim. Yep. And then... And then a- couple weeks and then pioneer masters then pioneer masters comes out so that yeah. might be our our like next set mm-hmm. so just like that pace is good and yeah. like i said like if this was five years ago or four years ago or something like yeah. i don't know if magic would be as much of a game yeah if it even survived yeah like i don't think i great like hey we can't have you like they may have handled it differently, right? They mm-hmm. may have not been like, "Hey, don't run events," right? Uh, because they didn't have a digital offering. Mm-hmm. But if they did do that, like you know, they're designing cards for no one to buy, yeah, and play with. So yes, I would say I am thankful for Arena and the baby, yep. even though so, he does uh, be a little pain in the butt sometimes. <laughs> so my sappy answer is. Uh... I'm also thankful for how how we have made out through this crazy, insane year that we had. My mom went to go visit my brother for the week, yeah. Um, who actually, his wife had her baby today, so it's a good thing my mom went out to see him. And I had to bring my mom to the airport early on Saturday morning. 
So living where we live is kind of a nicer area of, you know, the Grand Strand. And I was bringing my mom to the airport at like seven o'clock in the morning. And I see these cars like lined up all the way down 17 bypass, um, probably at least a mile of cars on the side of the road, all the way down the bypass. And I'm driving towards the airport and there's more cars, more cars, more cars. Well, it turns out the church on the bypass there was doing a Thanksgiving food distribution thing. Mm. There was at least like 150 cars just on the side of the road waiting to get into the fucking lot to try and get, you know, food for Thanksgiving. And I don't know, made me realize that, uh, you know, both of myself and my wife still have our jobs and we actually did fairly well this year. And yes, I also am very fortunate that my wife and I still have our jobs and nothing bad has happened financially for us. I mean, being in Myrtle Beach, like the whole town is built on tourism. Right. And people spending disposable income here. Mm-hmm. And no one's been able to come here or have disposable income if they did come. Yeah. So, yes, we have been fortunate. Yeah, it was it was just kind of weird that, you know, we're in a nicer area of, of the beach and to see that many people, you know, needing, needing a handout. In need, yeah. Like, yeah. around us, like, a lot of where we live is, well, me personally, and I think you as well, it's a lot of retirees. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And so it's a lot of people that made their money and like are just living off of it now. Right. So it hasn't impacted them. So like yeah. we don't see a lot of that impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, going to the store and stuff. It's just like, oh, it doesn't look like anything's changed. But right. yeah, there, you know, there are some people, we know some people yeah. that are in a bad way. Yep. So, all right. And with that, less than magical note. Yeah. I think we have a show. We do have a show. So, if you want to tweet at us or see some sweet Kaladesh draft decks, yeah. you can get us on Twitter at Casual Tripod. Yep. You can hit us up on Facebook at Casual Tryhard MTG. You can also drop us an email, show at Casual Tryhard MTG.com. Uh, don't forget, if you're looking to pick up some Commander Legends singles, maybe some of the stuff we talked about, maybe just some random stuff, uh, you can do that by using our TCG Player affiliate link. Um, tcg.casualtryhardmtg.com anything you purchase after following that link will get a small sliver of to help keep the show rolling if you want to support us a little more directly you can do so at patreon.com slash casualtryhardmtg don't forget to check out our discord channel there's a link in the description a link on twitter a link on facebook if you can't find a link let us know we'll send you an invite and check out our youtube channel casualtryhardmtg on youtube we will have, I know I posted a video in our little drive here about uh, just walking through my collection real quick. And I think you're going to do the same thing and maybe we'll throw them up on YouTube. So yep. you I'll can try to visualize what we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I will try to do the same thing Wednesday because yep. the wife is home to watch the baby. There you go. He's really bad at holding a camera. <laughs> Terrible cameraman. Blair Witch shaky cam. Yeah, and then it's just like the inside of his mouth. It's just like, what is this even doing? What are you even doing, dude? It's, it's like, fill the magic cards. It becomes esophagus cam super fast. It's like, ah, dude. Gross. Gross. Uh, 
I'd have to throw any of my cards in there. No. <laughs> all my the cards are damaged. Leaf. Yeah, they're all damaged now. <laughs> oh, man. All right. And with that, we'll catch you on the interwebs. Yeah, we'll catch you on the interwebs.